92.3 FM. The following program is in English. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom, Shalom. Welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Summer series over. It's the first installment for 2022 Series 3. Back to regular L'Chaim programs with new guests and items each week. And I think we're going to kick everything off straight into full gear with two very interesting guests. Effie's back with Exploring Israel with Effie, along with our regular L'Chaim contributors to Israel Connections, David Schulberg and Justin Amler with some germane commentary on recent events and happenings. So straight into it, you're tuned into L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. Leave that dial alone. First up, we have all heard and read about the Amnesty International, or should I say Scumnesty International, accusations of Israel being a racist, apartheid state, along with illegitimacy right from 1948. Apparently, no one told Scumnesty about Israel surviving an existential war from the Arab world. Let's hear a clip from well-known Palestinian peace activist Bassem Eid about Israel being a so-called apartheid state. My name is Bassem Eid. As the Palestinian peace activist and the founder of the Jerusalem-based Palestinian Human Rights Monitoring Group, I am here to set the record straight. The international community is yet again lying about Israel. While it is not a perfect country, Israel is definitely not an apartheid state. Just a few days after Israeli President Isaac Herzog met with the Emirati leader, Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, to make peace and normalize relations, Amnesty International released a report full of misinformation and lies about Israel. Amnesty International and other Israeli haters can't seem to live with the fact that the world is embracing Israel with open arms. They want to continue demonizing Israel and denying it the right to exist as the one and the only Jewish state. So here are the facts. The state of Israel is a strong and vibrant democracy that upholds equal rights for all its citizens. The Amnesty Report claims that the state of Israel was founded on the basis of discriminating between Jews and Arabs indicates the ignorance of its authors. Israel was established as a refuge for persecuted people with different backgrounds, identities, languages, and cultures. Apartheid, which is defined as a policy or system of segregation or discrimination on the grounds of race, simply does not exist in Israel. Look at Israel's current government. It is a comprise of Christians, Muslims, and Jews, people with disabilities, members of the LGBT community, dissidents of Holocaust survivals and immigrants. 
every sector of Israeli society is inclusive and diverse. Everyone can vote, everyone can attend school, everyone can work. In Israel, everyone can dream for peace and a better future. So let us set the record straight. Amnesty International and its Secretary General, Dr. Agnes Kanamar, are just promoting false propaganda that has been discredited time and time again. Share this to show the truth about Israel. A couple of weeks back, I recall listening to an interview a few years ago that Holocaust survivor Walter Bingham, who at the age of 98 is the oldest radio broadcast journalist in the world, based in Yerushalayim, had with Chaim Topol, a.k.a. Tevian Fiddler on the Roof. The interview to which I was riveted was about Chaim Topol's wonderful theatrical career and of his current project in life, a charity organisation called Jordan River Village, which is based in the Galilee in Israel's north. Listening to the interview, I learned that the Jordan River Village is Israel's only free overnight camp for all children living with chronic, serious or life-threatening illnesses, as well as children with special needs. We're delighted to have joined us tonight on our first L'Chaim back in 2022, Series 3, Professor Kobe Ramon, who is the chairman of the Jordan River Village. Professor Ramon, welcome to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Thank you. Professor Ramon, please, what is the Jordan River Village all about? What is its raison d'etre? The, the Jordan River Village is, is part of the, the Cirrus Fund organization. It's worldwide. We are the only one in Israel and uh, in the Middle East. The idea is to give children a treat for children with chronic diseases some type of summer camp experience, which allows them to enjoy life and to forget about their diseases. They come for a session. And in these three or four days, apparently we change their life. They become independent, some of those children living outside their home for the first time. Think of children with diabetes or children with uh, inflammatory bowel diseases or children with uh, epilepsy. They never leave home without their parents. So this is for the first time they are uh, live outside their home with children with the same diseases. So the idea is to combine diseases for those sessions and with this experience, we change their life. Professor Ramon, there is a spectacular aerial photo of the State of Art Jordan River Village on the website. Please take us through the facility and the activities and how it's all structured. Apart from the activity, we have, uh, you know, extreme sport park there. We have uh, riding horses. We have uh, activity with dogs. We have uh, a swimming pool. We have uh, their uh, art and creative workshops, cookery workshops, archery, kite flying. We have also a, a small petting zoo there. So this is the, the sport activity. But apart from that, we have there a theater. We have volunteers there that enjoy life with the kids. So the kids are performing, you know, in, in the theater there. You know, they don't have to, um, to fulfill everything. We have also sessions for children from regular school. The children are with their teachers and with their professional psychologists. They come to the village for a session of two or three days. The psychologists say that what we are doing in three days, they are trying to do in one year. 
So this is um, life-changing what we do there. They celebrate life there. The children are 9 to 18 years old. They're allowed to come only once a year. Of course, they don't pay for these sessions on Berman in the village. It's absolutely free of charge. It, as I said, it's a state-of-the-art facility. I, I believe it's on over 60 acres, and it provides the children with a once-in-a-lifetime camping experience. I read that the children uh, come to the village and leave their illnesses at the gate. What a wonderful concept. What's the ratio of volunteers to permanent staff? More than 1,000 volunteers. At the session, there are more than 100 volunteers in different activities. You know, kitchen, we have, we have volunteers there, doctors, uh, nurses, in all, in all aspects. Uh, so altogether, we have more than 1,000. It's amazing. At the, moment, amazing. at the moment, there are only uh, 26, even less, 24, I think, workers on salary. All the board members uh, are volunteers. Jordan River Village has been going now, I think it's into its 11th year. It is part of the Serious Fund Children's Network, a global community of independently managed and financed camps and programs. Who is this set up by? By Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Well, you know, at that time, it was called Knock on the Door. And then they changed uh, the name to Serious Fund Children's Network. Uh, there are 16 camps worldwide, uh, I think eight in the United States and um, the rest in Europe, I think Japan, and as I mentioned before, in Israel is the only one and the only one in, in the Middle East. And uh, according to Paul Newman's daughter, uh, Clee Newman, uh, he believed, he really believed that laughter was the best medicine. Laughter, and uh, you know, a child with a disease at some point, he can't forget about his disease. Or, I mean, if you take a, a child with a cerebral palsy and then put him in a swimming pool or um, climbing a, a wall, this is something, or do a archery, this is something that is unique for those type of children. And not only that, I mean, children with the same diseases, they share experience, they share difficulties. They become independent because of that, because of this exposure with, with other children with the same diseases. As I mentioned, that uh, this all came about by my listening to Chaim Topel. He is now the president of the association. He's the founder. We decided that since he's less active at the moment of, as a board member in the everyday activity of the, the village, then we announce him as a founder, as a president for life. For life, wonderful, wonderful. And there is on the website a wonderful, wonderful photo of Chaim Topol with Paul Newman. They were friends. I can't recall if uh, Paul Newman visited Israel. It was, if yes, then it was before my time. I joined the, the board only at, in 2008. But the idea of the Jordan River, you know, started five years earlier. So Paul Newman left a, a far greater legacy than uh, his simple portrayal of uh, Ari ben Canaan in Exodus. He's really uh, done something with Israel, and he wants it to be a project of peace. You also bring in children from the neighbouring countries. From the Palestinian Authority, not from neighbouring countries. Okay, from the PA. We are open, you know, to everybody, but from the Palestinian authorities, we have sessions for them. And, of course, uh, we have no discrimination. You know, we have religious children, 
children from Drew's family, our families, all together. For example, we have a session for hemophilia kids. The majority of those kids are Arabs, and they are together, Arabs and, and uh, Jewish kids. And uh, again, they, they live together, they share their experience together, they, they talk, and, um, and they meet after, after the, the session. They continue to, uh, to be in touch. They make lifelong connections. This all takes money. Does the government fund any of this? I believe that most of it comes from donations. We work with a, a Ministry of Education. Uh, we get some money from them, but for that we, we have session for certain schools. The rest we are rely on philanthropy, and I'm happy to say that we are successful raising money in Israel. Uh, and we are, of course, we compete with many organizations in Israel, but still it's a lot of work. Each year we start with a budget that we have to, uh, uh, to raise money for it. I'm happy to say that, that there are so many dudes, not, not only the volunteers, but also those who donate to the village. There are some families in, in Australia who, who donate in the past. So there's an Australian uh, connection. There's already been an Australian connection. Uh, let me give out the website. People want to donate, and I strongly urge everyone to please check out the website. This is an amazing, amazing concept, amazing organisation. In uh, the 10 years that uh, it's been operating, more than 17,000 campers and 4,600 families have uh, attended the facility and uh, had a change of life. So please, uh, to our listeners, www.jrv.org.il, and they can follow the Jordan River Village on Facebook. There's a Facebook page, and there's also Friends of the Jordan River Village Facebook page. I wanted also to mention, you know, I have friends there, and, and some are members of the Good Week, Goodfield family. Uh, the Goodfield father is also supporting uh, the Jordan River Village uh, every year very nicely. And uh, I don't know if they listen to the Chaim, but if yes. Are they Melbourne-based or Sydney? Melbourne or Sydney? Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, we'll find them. Yes. We'll let them know. Yes. We'll let them know. Let me yes. just give out a bit of information about yourself, uh, Professor Ramon. You're the head of the urology department at the Shiva Medical Center since 1977. Uh, you have written many, many medical articles. I should tell our listeners that you were also a pilot in the Israel Air Force. Uh, may I ask, any relation to Israel's late uh, astronaut, Ilan Ramon? No, only, only by name. I, I was also a pilot when I served in the... Before starting medicine, when I was a pilot, I served six years in the army and then another 30 years in the reserve army as a, as a helicopter pilot. Wonderful. Um, Professor Kobe Ramon, I want to thank you for joining us on Lahaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and More, with the Jordan River Village story. Wonderful. And please, all our listeners, www.jrv.org.il. Uh, there's a function coming up in May. We'll have some more information about that. I would like to say regards, you know, to my friends in, in Melbourne. It's Andrew and Annabella Gottfried and uh, Vivian and Paul Zimmer. They are okay. part of the Goodwick Foundation. And uh, I have uh, also in Melbourne um, a good friend. He's a urologist. It's, it's Mark Friedberg. So if he's listening and, and his family, I'll be happy to, you know, to send my regards and looking forward to see them in Israel. Wonderful. And let me read out one last comment. This is a comment from one of the parents whose child attended the village. You do holy work that will be etched in the children's hearts forever.
Jordan River Village. Professor Ramon, thank you for joining us on Lachaim. Okay. Lachaim. Lachaim. I'm Ernie Singer, and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. Security forces eliminated three terrorists from the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade of Palestinian Authority to run Mahmoud Abbas's Fatah faction Tuesday morning in the Samarian PA city of Shechem, or Nablus. Authorities are looking for a fourth. There were no Israeli casualties. An anonymous security source told public television that the cell was responsible for at least four shooting attacks against Israeli troops and civilians in the Shechem area in the last two weeks and was planning more attacks. Fatah vowed revenge, the PA, other terror groups, and a hostile Arab member of Knesset calling the action an execution. An Israeli taxi driver who was attacked when he entered Shechem after the incident managed to escape unharmed. Earlier in the morning, security forces again demolished the Sumerian Jewish outpost of Mali Ahuvia, home to several young men and a small herd of sheep. What Israel Defense Forces radio called a tent and a barn were erected in memory of Ahuvia Sandak, a 16-year-old resident of the Judean Jewish community of Bat Ayin, who was killed in a car crash while fleeing from police in December 2020 after occupants of the vehicle allegedly threw rocks at Arabs. On Saturday, dozens of nationalist activists blocked the entrance to Jerusalem, protesting the closure of an investigation of the officers who were involved in the chase. Indictments are pending against an alleged PA antiquities robber and antiques dealer in the Shechem area following his arrest on Monday. The Defense Ministry's Civil Administration for Judea and Samaria confiscated thousands of rare finds valued at hundreds of thousands of shekels, including rare coins from the beginning of the advent of coins in the country. Israel National News reports police arrested a Jerusalem Arab boy Monday evening on suspicion of throwing stones at a bus in the Isawiya area on Mount Scopus. There were no casualties or damage in the incident. Ajans France Press reports the prison service said a Spanish aid worker who pled guilty to working with an organization that funds the popular front terror group walked free Monday after 10 months in jail. Juana Rashmawi was sentenced in November to 13 months in prison and ordered to pay a fine of 50,000 shekels, nearly $16,000, for working for the PA's Union of Health Work Committees, which Israel said funneled European donations to the PFLP. A judge agreed to her early release last week. The Shabak Israel Security Agency announced on Tuesday morning that flights between Israel and Dubai will continue until the end of the month under an extension of current security arrangements. Israel and the United Arab Emirates are negotiating new arrangements which threaten to suspend the flights because the agency did not agree with the Emirates' terms. Judges in the corruption trial of former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu agreed on Tuesday to delay hearings until next week at least after the prosecution asked for more time to look into claims that police used spyware illegally in their investigation. The prosecution now has until Sunday to provide information about the allegations. The health ministry reported Tuesday morning that there were nearly 44,000 new COVID-19 cases on Monday, representing 24.1% of test results. The number of those in serious condition dropped to 1,161 on Tuesday, while the number in critical condition declined to 355. The number of recovered individuals contracting the Omicron variant now stands at 6.47% of recorded cases. Can Israeli chickpeas grow in space? That's a question scientists hope to answer in a couple of weeks when the Space Humus Project sends seeds in a miniature greenhouse to the International Space Station for a series of experiments aimed at controlling growth of crops via hydroponic techniques in zero gravity and without sunlight. The experiments will be performed by scientists and engineers from Israel and Stanford University, including Israeli high school students, as well as Israeli astronaut Eitan Stibi. The greenhouse is also well-suited for travel to the moon, which will be the next step of the mission. This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio.
Listen online to more Straight Talk from Israel at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Jane Joseph is the Museum Director and CEO of the Jewish Holocaust Center and Chair of the Australian Holocaust Museum Alliance. She started working at the Center in 2002 with a background in curatorship and collections. Since transitioning into her directorial role in 2018, Jane has overseen a significant museum redevelopment project estimated for completion later this year. Under her leadership, the Centre has continued delivering vital programs, supporting schools with their Holocaust education, engaging with over 23,000 Australian students per annum. Over the last few years, with support from the Dandel Foundation, the Jewish Holocaust Centre developed Hide and Seek, an award-winning program aimed at 10 to 14-year-olds, and their professional learning program, supported by the Department of Education and the Gandal Foundation, which prepares educators to teach the Holocaust in a meaningful way. Welcome to L'Chaim, Jane. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. The Jewish Holocaust Centre continues to play an absolutely vital role in keeping the voices of Holocaust survivors alive through its collection within permanent, virtual and travelling programs and exhibitions. However, a widely reported survey led by Deakin University researchers and commissioned by the Gandal Foundation asked Australians about a range of aspects concerning the Holocaust. It found that almost a quarter of the population aged 18 years or older have little to no knowledge of the Holocaust. Jane, were you at all surprised by this level of ignorance about the Holocaust in the broader Australian community? And what do you see as the most effective means of addressing this? I don't know if I was surprised because similar studies have been done around the world. You'd like to think Australia is going to be a bit better, but, you know, it was a long time ago. We have been pushing and pushing for Holocaust education to be mandatory. Now, this survey was across Australia. So whilst a couple of years ago the Victorian Department of Education introduced mandatory Holocaust education for years 9 and 10, students studying history It's not across Australia and I think the survey points to the need for that to happen. And also the good thing in the survey was that an overwhelming majority of Australians actually agree that the lessons of the Holocaust are important to be learnt. So if you are pursuing this course of action, it must be very difficult in light of the full school curriculum and when anything's changed, this is the thing that's brought up. that It's so packed already. How do you introduce something without taking something out? How do you face this problem? Well, actually, uh, when we worked with the Department of Education, we helped them and we had other local Holocaust experts as well as Yad Vashem. And one of the first things we did was create a rationale, why study the Holocaust? Mm. And, you know, it really pointed to the values, the lessons that are important. We're doomed to repeat history if we don't learn from history. The lessons about democracy, protecting democracy, Also, one of the things that also came out of the survey was that learning about the dangers of prejudice and racism actually builds a more tolerant society. So there's a whole lot of other stuff in the rationale as well. Learning about the Holocaust, learning about any period in history will teach people critical thinking skills. Mm. So, So there's one reason to learn it. But learning about the Holocaust, where you look at how was that humanly possible, what happened in society in legislation, in what were other countries doing, there is just so much of great value for students today to sit down and explore because that way when they see things happening in the world and they see things happening locally, 
you know, to think about how a society goes from hatred of the other, propaganda to use of language to uh, other people, and then how that can go, you know, in a very short period of time, within a decade, to mass murder. It's absolutely vital for every school student to understand that. And to leave school not knowing that, you know, it's a worry for society. And we want to create an inclusive society here in Australia. We're multicultural. And that's why the government really support this. They support it, but the mandatory education is the next thing that really has to happen, mandatory across Australia. What's your feeling about this? I mean, is this just, you know, talk by politicians or do you think that there really is a determination to follow through? I think there is a lot of interest and that's, you know, as we've seen, there are now Holocaust museums or either existing or in planning or in development or about to start across Australia. Last one announced was last week for Darwin and that's why we got together last year with the Sydney Jewish Museum, the Queensland Jewish Board of Deputies who are planning a museum in Queensland, Adelaide, there already is a a museum there, West Australia have a Holocaust Educational Institute, there's plans now for Canberra, Tasmania and now Darwin. So we got together to say as a group of museums across Australia, that if we work together to support each other, to certainly help the other museums develop with expertise and experience that some of us already have, and that together we can then talk through our departments of education. These things don't happen overnight, but there's certainly a groundswell. What we did in Melbourne and Victoria with the Department of Education here is a wonderful model to be able to share with the other states. So there's that. And also now that we're doing a Teach the Teacher, how to teach the Holocaust which is absolutely vital piece of the puzzle. This program that we're developing has potential to be rolled out, you know, across different states as well because one of the things that came out of the survey is that visits to Holocaust museums really greatly increase knowledge about the Holocaust, which, of course, seems a little obvious. But, you know, I think having these Holocaust museums, us supporting the other Holocaust museums is great. But we need the students then to come to the Holocaust museums. Not every student's going to come to a Holocaust museum. The next best thing that we can do is support the teachers to be able to teach the Holocaust appropriately, safely, and and using, you know, local resources as well. So if the teachers are better equipped to teach, you know, they they can't be experts in everything. We want to help them and we want to show them how to teach and help them and and offer them resources and support them in their teaching. That way, even the students who come who've been better taught, when they walk through the doors, we don't have that challenge of these kids don't know anything. We've got to teach them everything in two hours. So if they already know quite a bit, we can have an even more amazing experience with them. Yes. We're all familiar with Holocaust denial, but just a few days ago, a school board in Tennessee banned Art Spiegelman's graphic novel Mouse because it was considered inappropriate for 13-year-olds. And you sort of touched on this, but what are the difficulties in educating children about the Holocaust, which is an event of unprecedented horror? Yad Vashem have a credo, which is safely in, safely out, which we've also adopted. And we sort of say safely in, safely out, but safely throughout as well. So the, the point of that is, you know, it is difficult knowledge. It could trigger things in students who may be suffering from abuse or maybe come from a background or have escaped a war-torn country, I mean, this, or just in their family history. So it's difficult to teach this subject safely. Yes. We have developed a methodology around that and ways to bring students into the subject safely and bring them out safely as well. 
So, yes, that is always a challenge. I mean, you mentioned we created a program for 10 to 14-year-olds. That does not teach about the Holocaust so much as introduces discrimination and talks about children who survived in hiding. So um, taking off from, you know, that Anne Frank story is, is read by a lot of younger readers and looking at the Morris Gleitzman series, the Australian author who wrote a series, Uh, started with the book once, Uh, he's now written his seventh book in that series. And, you know, there is an interest in that age group in exploring this topic. So how to do it safely? Well, we created that program, Hide and Seek. But for the older students, equally, when we are going to talk about what happened in death camps, uh, how do you teach that safely? So it is a challenge. But addressing the topic around the banning of the book Mouse, that's not so much Holocaust denial, I don't even know what the term is for that. It is very worrying when schools ban books. Yes. It's always worrying when schools ban books. I was actually looking at a list of books that were banned and, you know, this is just one of many books that are being banned in parts of America. And I think that actually speaks to a whole other set of circumstances that are that are happening in America, happening probably elsewhere, about rewriting history, the reason that Mouse was banned or the, the purported reason that it was yeah. banned in that school was because it contained rude words. And nudity. <laughs> and mouse nudity, which yeah. is probably one of the two most bizarre yeah. words that you can put together. Um, and, that you know, there were things like uh, references to people committing suicide and atrocities happening to children. Well, the reality is that the Holocaust is all about atrocities happening to humans and children, the most difficult part of us to deal with when we're we're talking about the Holocaust. I mean, I work with survivors who brothers and sisters were murdered. It's not something that we like to have to share with students, but we can't avoid it. You can't teach the Holocaust without talking about atrocities. So I just think it's very worrying across the board that they're censoring books and what the kids have access to on the internet is, oh, that's right, that's right. you know, yeah. it's just ironic that in school they'll they'll censor that and uh, the kids are probably um, looking at far worse stuff. I was going to tell you, I, I saw a quote from Ken Burns, maybe it was a tweet, it was a tweet. The history of the Holocaust includes the banning of books. Mm. Mouse is a work of art that has helped generations understand Nazi brutality and how they dictated what people could think, read and say. When you become fearful of ideas, you forfeit your freedom. The whole episode then points to why we need education because, you know, history is instructive. So if we start looking at banning books or we look at burning books, we go back to the Holocaust and we look, look at what happened then. One day I I was looking up a list of books banned by the Nazis and I was shocked that the book Bambi was banned. (laughs) Okay. When I looked into why the author was Jewish, Mm. and there is potentially, and and I've read some academics have been writing about this, some sort of allegory about, you know, being hunted like deers were being hunted. So maybe that's why it was banned, but... Well, it's difficult to get into that mindset, uh, that's for sure. But it, it, yeah. if anything good has come out of that, uh, it's uh, since the banning, mouse sales have lifted to the top of both the history and graphic novel categories at Amazon. So they're sending out uh, thousands of copies to people who may not have been educated in any way about Holocaust, so they're going to be exposed in that form at the very least. I do think that is a wonderful response. Yes, 
Great to hear that. Actually, interestingly enough, um, I, I'm quite a fan of the graphic novel and Mouse is a spectacular work. Yeah. Um, but one of the other books that I saw had been banned in American schools. It's a wonderful graphic novel called Persepolis. And that's about life in Iran before things changed there. So, and, and the banning of music and all, all sorts of things. So I highly recommend that book. If, it, if anyone's listening, they've already read Mouse and they're looking for something interesting in the graphic novel variety. Persepolis is wonderful. Yeah, it has a tremendous impact. If we could just quickly uh, deal with Whoopi Goldberg's comments when she claimed that the Holocaust was not about race. Is this Holocaust denial in another guise? I think, once again, Holocaust distortion is is really a word that springs to mind and it's probably the biggest danger that we're facing at the moment. I mean, Holocaust denial is terrible, and uh, but it's this distortion that's really problematic. It's happening across the world in all sorts of ways. In, in Poland, Holocaust distortion is very problematic, the rewriting of history there. You know, not wanting in any way anything to be written about how Polish people might have collaborated or done anything bad, and there's a massive celebration of any story where a Polish person helped a Jewish person. They're putting up monuments and building museums. But Whoopi Goldberg, that is just an ignorant statement. She just needs to to be better educated, and I think that's what's happening at the moment. There's obviously people explaining the ignorance of that statement. I mean, we would agree that Jews are not a race. Yes. And it was a racist policy. So for her to say what she said is just completely ignorant of the Nazi Aryan race ideology. Yeah, I'm afraid we have to uh, leave it at that. Jane Jason, Museum Director and CEO of the Jewish Holocaust Centre and Chair of the Australian Holocaust Museum Alliance. Thank you for providing our audience with an insight into some of the challenges the centre faces in keeping alive the memory of the Holocaust, its victims and survivors. Jane, all the very best for the completion of the museum redevelopment and many thanks for being on with Hayam. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well done, Maury, with Jane Josson. What a great interview covering Holocaust education, banning and burning books, and the, I would love to say, but I won't say it, Whoopi Goldberg. And speaking of the whoops lady, our Justin Amler has some thoughts about her outrageous comments. When Whoopi Goldberg, the intellectual genius and authority on all aspects of the world, said that the Holocaust was not about race, she proved that not only is she a comedian, but a joke too. And yet, what she said is not simply a unique and bizarre position of someone ignorant of the most basics of history. She illustrated perfectly the philosophy of the woke brigades who profess a society of inclusivity and racial harmony, but in reality, Ferment a world of hatred, divisiveness, and outright racism. Jews historically have never been seen as white, as the radical leftists like to preach these days. Jews have always and still are seen as a distinct group made up of several factors, including ethnicity, race, and religion. Yet, even as anti Semitism soars around the world, those on the left continue to ignore it, unless the anti Semitism that has been carried out is by white supremacists. For every act of racism perpetrated by black people or Muslims is simply ignored, downplayed or excused and hardly a news story worth repeating. Yet if there is an attack by a white supremacist, 
then suddenly we have a bona fide Jew-hating hypocrites like Ilan Umar, Rashida Talib, and Linda Sosa standing shoulder to shoulder with our Jewish brothers and sisters against hatred. Oh please. All these Jew-hating groups like CARE, Black Lives Matter, the Democratic Socialist Movements, BDS, J Street, Jewish Voice for Peace, Amnesty International, rely and count on the fact that people are genuinely ignorant of history. It's not that they simply and falsely believe that Jews are suddenly white. They need them to be white so that they can continue their Jew hatred undisturbed and undeterred with the support of much of the mainstream media, who continue to portray Israel as some kind of white colonialist entity in the middle of the indigenous Arab world. Because attacks against people who are white are not really racist, you know. Whoopi Goldberg perpetuates this myth of white Jews by claiming that the Holocaust was simply a fight between two groups of white people, so therefore it couldn't be racist, just simply man's inhumanity to man, as she claims. It's such a ludicrous statement. That's like saying slavery in America wasn't really racist. It was simply people not being nice to other people. Unfortunately, many Jews today, especially on the left, continue to propagate this falsehood by standing with Jew-hating groups in order to fight against racism and Zionism. They do this in the misbelief that by standing with so-called progressive groups, it will earn them points and street credit as part of the liberal left who fight for freedom and humanity. They see themselves as cultural Jews, detaching themselves from the nationhood of Jewish people, including Israel, Jewish self-determination, and Jewish history. It's something that will eventually come back to haunt them, as these progressive groups do not see them as allies, but as useful idiots in their fight to tear down all of society's pillars. And that includes the Jewish people too. I don't know if Whoopi Goldberg is anti-Semitic, but what she said certainly is, and it's something that millions of her followers who don't know history will grab onto and accept as truth. And that's dangerous. For too long, non-Jews think they have a right to dictate our history, our story. Whoopi Goldberg is just another one in that long list. She's not a Jew, even though she once claimed she felt Jewish, and she has absolutely no right to tell us what the Holocaust was about, whether we are white or not, and what constitutes anti-Semitism. I'd like her to look in the eye of every Holocaust survivor and tell them that what happened to them and their family and their friends wasn't about race. I'd like her to look in the eye of every victim of an anti-Semitic attack in the world today and tell them it's not about racism. I'd like her to look into the eye of every Jew in the world today and tell them that the oldest hatred in history, Jew hatred, has nothing to do with Jews. We Jews are people with a long history and a long memory. Throughout the entire history of our existence, others have tried to dictate to us what we are, what we feel, what we think. We must never allow those voices to go out unanswered. Because the one thing on our side, we have, and will always have, is the one thing they'll never be able to destroy. Truth. This is Justin Amler for Lechaim to Life. For an unforgettable experience, explore Israel with Effie. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Effie Yacobi, welcome back. Welcome back to Lachaim 2022, the first installment of Series 3. Series 3. Shalom, shalom. Erev Tov, chaverim, and Erev Tov to all your listeners from Effie here in Eretz Israel. Effie, um, how did you enjoy our Lachaim Samachotesh breakdown under? 
what's been happening in your neck of the woods? Uh, more of the same here with this variant that this Omicron has right, played havoc with everybody. And from what I understand, you can now buy hazmat suits for one buck. So it looks like everybody's going to run into that too. No, only kidding. Nothing available with that. But uh, in terms of home tests, uh, three bucks twenty for a test here, AUD, compared to what you guys are probably paying, which I think is four times as much. But other than that, I want to tell you that things and prospects along the tourist industry are brightening up. The skies are beginning to open. Uh, It looks like they're doing away with this Green Pass vaccination certificate and allowing people to travel overseas with only adhering to what the other side requires and not so much what we're requiring, which is a good sign. In terms of myself, over the past two weeks, I've had two two groups, uh, two small, and on February 20th, 21st, and 27th, I've got three groups, two internal and one overseas, a couple from New South Wales, from a former uh, client that I had. And so, wow, you know, this is encouraging. And uh, bookings, guys, they're beginning to come in, at least for me, and I know from friends in the network, uh, it's beginning to happen. So it's been a long wait, and assuming we all adhere to the restrictions, there's no reason not to accept overseas guests and push this industry back to where it should be. Great. Very, very encouraging. Did you catch any of our first interview about the Jordan River Village? Um, Have you been there in the Galilee? Well, yes, definitely, because this is one of the stops that, uh, that we had during the tourist ministry course. They take certain sites other than the normal historical sites that we feel become the flagship for overseas guests to hear and learn about about what's being done in their particular field of providing care, you know, for children uh, and young adults uh, in the last bit of their life due to an illness. So absolutely stunning and phenomenal work being done there. And, of course, a major patron, Paul Newman, who set it up, the late Paul Newman, and Chaim Topol, who was the general manager and also initiator of it as well. So great stuff. He's president now, and uh, he did it in conjunction with Paul Newman. Well, I think they were both... it's, it's irrelevant. It's there. By the way, Chaim Topol, the Topol family, famous guy, back 60 years ago in the early 50s when uh, mum and dad came out, Palestine and that established themselves in Abu Kabir, which was a southern suburb of Tel Aviv. Our next door neighbor was the Topol family. Wow. And uh, my sister remembers his sister very well. Knock, knock on the door. That's it. And look where he is. And look where we are. Amazing. Wow. I, believe, um, I believe he's still living in Tel Aviv. Okay, Effie, great. So where are you taking our Lachaim listeners tonight? Let's go explore Israel with Effie as we begin 2.22 or 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z Lachaim for life. And what better way to do it when you're in Yerushalayim anyway? And right in the heart of Yerushalayim, you don't have to go out anywhere. Just grab the car, use the light rail, and you go to the Deer or Gazelle Valley Park. And this is right in the heart of Jerusalem, an enclosed area where the kids and everyone else can go and see nature in all its full bloom. So where are we? Gazelle Valley, Emek Hatzva'im. It used to be called Prihau, the fruits of the valley. And that's an open space of 260 dunams. That's 64 acres right in the heart of Yerushalayim, on the edge of the Givat Mordechai neighborhood, opposite a massive pat intersection. Now, this Gazelle Valley is the largest urban nature site in Israel. Urban. 
It is the best place to watch the mountain gazelle species in their natural habitat. About 65 members of this endangered species are living in the park, leading mostly a natural lifestyle. Like in the wild, the gazelles find food on their own, breed, raise their young, and fight over territory. Alongside the gazelles, the park is home to dozens of species of birds, reptiles, insects, and plants, compiling a functioning urban ecosystem. Now, this valley was once the home to a herd of over 33 wild gazelles. But back in 1993, their passage to the mountains surrounding Jerusalem was blocked by a new highway, and those gazelles were trapped in this valley. In the following years, the herd gradually disappeared due to the threats of feral dogs, jackals, and even humans who chased the gazelles onto the highway to get them out of their way, where most of them lost their lives. A decade later, the area was designated to become a luxurious housing project. 65 dooms of prime real estate. You can just imagine every urban developer wanted to get their hands in it. And the gazelles' fate seemed doomed. Luckily for them, their human neighbors came to their aid. Massive petitions. And for more than 12 years, the inhabitants of the neighboring streets fought to save the valley. And in 2015, the Gazelle Valley Park was established. The Gazelle Valley is accessible for wheelchairs and strollers, and you can reach the park with both private and public transportation. You can't get better than that. The years of being trapped in the valley before the park was established to protect them did not come without a cost. Most fawns born in those years were eaten by stray dogs and city-dwelling jackals, and those who did survive to adulthood were likely to be killed in the traffic of the nearby highway. At the time when the park was finally established, there was only three surviving gazelles. In the first two years of the park's existence, several additional gazelles who were rescued from illegal captivity were introduced to the park. However, since 2017, the herd is growing independently. And in the last breeding season starting, it yielded 15 new fawns and the herd has reached an unprecedented number of 63 gazelles. Now, alongside the gazelles, you find a variety of wildflowers, a large bird watching hide, a large pond attracting many kinds of wildlife, endangered animals such as the pharyngenus duck and the Greek tortoise. Picnic spots are everywhere. So, guys, this is the place, especially during winter and that. You want something to do with your kids to get them out. You pack them in the car, get on the light train, you go straight there. Volunteers help regularly to keep the park in top shape, free guided tours, holiday activities. Guides are there for every weekend. You can't get better than that as a center of education for the kids in nature. Two minutes outside your front door. So, guys, that's it for me for this day from Exploring Israel with Effie. Till next time, when we once again explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z, Lachaim. All the best. Wow, Effie, as always, amazing, exciting Israel. Great stuff. And I should tell our Lachaim listeners, Ev, that you sent me a clip of the uh, Deer Park with the gazelles straight after the snowfall that uh, came to Yerushalayim. It is, it is gorgeous. Our listeners should look for it on you, George, you've got to start getting to video and you've got to start putting this on air somehow so people can buy a link <laughs> to your show afterwards and see these video clips, an additional aspect to your radio show. All the best and a great year for all of us in 222 and a peaceful year and one free from this cholera that is uh, racking havoc with the world. Okay. Thanks, Thanks See you next week. Great return. See you next Bye, week. Bye-bye.
Welcome to the, the Mythbusters. Just the facts, ma'am. The campaign has been spearheaded by artists, and this is a call from, from Palestinian civil society calling on the international community. What's frustrating is if Palestinians respond to armed military occupation with armed resistance, they're denounced as terrorists, as violent, as barbaric, uh, as backwards. And so BDS is also this other way. Still, Palestinians are, are being told that it's unacceptable and anything that we do is going to be met, met with backlash and it doesn't matter what form of resistance it is. Hineen Kalik, a Palestinian activist, has one thing in mind, the eradication of the State of Israel and its replacement by another Islamic hellhole. By now, most of us would be aware of the furore over the boycott by many artists from the Sydney Festival who were cajoled by the Palestinian Hate Israel lobby that can't accept the right of Israel to exist as a Jewish state. Karlik suggests that the boycott campaign was driven by artists which couldn't be further from the truth. This campaign was initiated by anti-Israel activists under the banner of BDS. Artists were heavily pressured to pull out of the festival as Sydney Festival director Olivia Ansel has accused activists of intimidating artists into boycotting the festival over the funding that the event had accepted from the Israeli embassy. Some artists felt pressured to the extent that they had no option but to withdraw, or else they would be publicly shamed online, while other artists had a very strong opinion, and one respects those strong opinions. That's why we live in a democracy, Ansel said. In relation to the intimidation and pressure online, everyone has the right to feel safe, whether that's physically, mentally or culturally. And I couldn't say that everybody felt safe out there online during the height of the boycott, Ansel concluded. Of course, Fahad Ali, one of the instigators of the BDS bullying campaign, rejects the notion that artists had been pressured to withdraw. We shouldn't believe him. Bullying and intimidation is a trademark of BDS. Fahad Ali hosted an online event run by the Palestine Justice Movement Sydney, where the protagonists and their lackeys were discussing why we're boycotting the Sydney Festival. Have a listen to what one of the BDS idiots, Tom Ballard, had to say. I feel honoured to be on this lineup and um, profoundly out of my depth. And it's brutal following those, those two other fantastic artists that have talked about their art, connecting with their identity and their sense of self and their politics. And I, I mainly tell jokes about my genitals. So I feel, uh, I feel like I've let the team down there. But um, I'm a stand-up comedian. I, I love making people laugh and I love attention. I was initially a comedian like most others. I was, I was writing jokes about my, my life, particularly coming out as a young gay man and being young and gay in Australia. But the word artist does make me feel very uncomfortable. And I probably am an idiot, although whether or not I'm useful is, is up for debate. Yeah. You can be a useful idiot like the rest of, <laughs> of us. Um... Go Stalin. Yeah, great. <laughs> There you go. Bollard quite plainly incriminated himself for being nothing more than a clown who really has no idea of the true nature of the Israeli-Palestine dispute. And just going back to what Janine Kulik said to begin this mythbuster, for her and her anti-Israel camaraderie, they claim there is nothing else to do but to resist the so-called Israeli occupation, which is what she maintains is what BDS is about. Enough of your lies and propaganda, Miss Kulik. We seek through the dirty veneer of BDS, which is actually aiming to get rid of Israel. So when you ruminate on why you were given the boot from the Australian newspaper, you should know you deserved it, 
because we definitely don't need Palestinian activists like you who spread a malevolence that breeds anti-Semitism, which is what lies at the heart of the BDS movement. This Mythbuster is by David Zulberg from the Israel Connection Program that listeners can listen to on J-Air, broadcasting live each week on Wednesdays from 4 to 5 p.m. and repeated Fridays 1 till 2 p.m. Doesn't our Mythbuster man, the Israel Connections, David Schulberg, always get it right? Tonight was no exception. And let me tell you about a couple of these know-nothing hostile to Israel, so-called entertainers, comedians, who proudly boycotted the Sydney Festival. First up, Judith Lucy was sent a formal invitation to join us on L'Chaim to discuss her issues with Israel. Sadly, no appearance, Your Worship. Too busy. This bloke, Tom Ballard, who apparently likes to talk a lot about his genitalia, actually I'd never heard of him prior to his boycott of the Sydney Festival. We also invited him to join us on L'Chaim, which I did on his Facebook page, to discuss his concerns with Israel and Jews. After initially accepting enthusiastically, yes, I will definitely do this, I kept asking him for his email details so that we could confirm a date and time. Actually, I wanted him to be on our first program back tonight. Tom Bellart said he was only joking. Boycott as these people may be, but give them an opportunity to discuss their Israel and Jew-hating issues with the Jewish community, and they then become Israel-Jew-hating Gutless boycotters. It's good news week. Have you heard the news? What did it say? Now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Shoah survivor takes Whoopi to task. Polly's reject amnesty report. Rabbi abused over apartheid claims. Jewish students silenced and heckled in boycott debate. Minister warns of terror attack. Jews march in pride parade. Israel takes down terror suspects. One year on, survivor dies of rocket injuries. Historic Oscar nod for Spielberg. Probe launched into Israeli police hacking. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Have you heard the news? What did it say? Well, that's it with our first regular Lachaim for 2022. But before we close out with Israel's Michael Ben David's entrance to Eurovision 2022, with some breaking news from Israel. IDF planes flying routine flights over the Golan were fired at by an anti-aircraft missile from Syria. Evasive tactics by planes avoided the hit and the missile carried on and exploded or fell apart over Wadi Ara, a major route near Umm El Afam. No injuries or damage thus far. Wow, the buggers keep trying. By the way, the Australian Jewish Association is back with its weekly Zooms immediately preceding Lachaim at 8pm Wednesdays. Last week's guest was Melanie Phillips with tonight's guest Caroline Glick 
two very knowledgeable, articulate women. You can check them out on the AJA's YouTube page. They are a must. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Loch program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show Square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. If you'd like to check out any of our programs or podcasts, simply Google Anka Lachaim Two Life Programs and Podcasts. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Or go to the Jewish Life page on the Social Blueprint Jewish Resources website. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lechaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lechaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Murray Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. So thank you for tuning in, and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai, and peace. Baby, sometimes life can bring you down. But honey, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. me crazy so just call my name you can say that i'm stunning it's not a shame because i know i am i know i am because i know i am i know i am i like this attitude i like the Let's see the deal. Isn't this sex appeal? Bam, bam, this is how it feels.